Welcome to the Face Transition Podcast. In this episode, I have a very insightful conversation with Dr. Scott D. Miller. Dr. Miller is the founder of the International Center for Clinical Excellence, an international consortium of clinicians, researchers, and educators dedicated to promoting excellence in behavioral health services. Dr. Miller conducts workshops and training in the United States and abroad, helping hundreds of agencies and organizations, both public and private, to achieve superior results. Dr. Miller is the author of numerous psychotherapy books and articles. You can find them all on his website, along with lots of resourceful information. In this episode, we discuss a different type of book he wrote, his LDS mission memoir titled The Book of A. Mormon. In his memoir, he recounts his missionary experience at 19 years old serving for the Latter-day Saints Church. He lost his faith early on while serving in Sweden, but decided to make the sacrifice to painfully finish his mission under a controlling mission president with unrealistic expectations to preserve his parents from the shame and judgment they would receive if he went home early. What I appreciate most about Dr. Miller is that he does not deny the good he beneficiated from growing up in the church. He refuses to be called an ex-Mormon because he fully embraces his Mormon roots. But as a scientist through and through, he saw at a very young age that there were beliefs in Mormonism that did not make sense and it got worse as he studied the religion more in depth. We also talk about what led him to become a psychotherapist and much more. If you combine intelligence and wisdom, you get Dr. Scott D. Miller. I truly hope that you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. Thank you very much, first of all, for um, accepting to do this. I'm very honored that you would, you know, come on, on my podcast and for the opportunity to dig into your brain a little bit, because I'm, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just fascinated. And I know it's, it's so strange things, but because I've read your book, you know, mm. cover to cover, I mean, the, the, book of, the book of A Mormon, I don't know. That's right. I, I haven't read the others. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I need that. <laughs> but because I've read that book, uh, you know, there is a proximity that, you know, it, it creates... The, it gives the impression that I know you somehow. Yeah. I know you a little. You know, I've I've been into your world, and it's and it and it feels like a friend. And we we've done a a podcast together as we were talking about the books and and whatnot. So I, I mm. you know, even though we haven't met in person yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do I do feel a little bit like you know I know you a little. So I no, that's, um, I consider that quite a compliment. We oh. really tried when we were writing the Book of a Mormon to to present. The person that I was at age 19, mm-hmm. that without rancor um, and uh, in a way that I hoped was approachable to people. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll dig a little more into that. I, I want to go a little bit chronologically so that, you know, people know, people who haven't heard of you know who you okay. are. So if sure. you want to just take um, a few minutes here, and I may, you know, interject here and there. But mm-hmm. to, uh, if you had to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, because it, it is the Face Transition podcast, I've mostly had people who've transitioned away from the LDS uh, Latter-day Saints faith. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to maybe share a little bit, what was your connection to Mormonism? Mm-hmm. And maybe briefly talk about what made you transition out of it. 
you don't have to go into details. I will put a link to the Mormon stories where you, you go you know, mm. more in details about that, but just yeah. so that we know your connection with it. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go, we'll go from there. So okay. a bit of a personal bio here. <laughs> okay. And feel free to interrupt me during this. If I yes. veer off into an area that you don't feel is, is appropriate to uh, oh, no, your audience. I, no, it's, this is, this is a, uh, you know, adult. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, you can say anything. <laughs> All right. I, you know, I grew up in Southern California in a small town called Glendora. It's a bedroom community. A lot of people who were commuting into the Los Angeles area lived there. And I would say that I had a fairly idyllic childhood. It was during the 60s and 70s, and my father was a school principal. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, and the area in which we lived in was lovely, and the community that was around me, I, I thought, was supportive and um, uh, fun actually. It just so happened that we were Mormons uh, and that there were some Mormon families in, in, in the town, uh, but on, to the north of our home, we had a Catholic family. Uh, to the south, we had a Protestant family, and I never thought of us as, as strange or, or different or unique. They just went to one church on Sunday, and we went to another, and when we would come out of the house dressed up in our Sunday best, they would be in their, coming out of their house and heading off to, to mass. Um, so I, I don't, I, I, I had a really great upbringing and the church was, was wonderful uh, during, during that particular time. The members were supportive. I looked forward to being involved in a lot of the church activities that uh, we had. Um, from the time I was little, however, much of what we were taught doctrinally didn't make much sense to me. And I think this is just the way my brain works. So a story that I, I talk about in the book that I don't have any memories myself of it, but I have memories of people telling me about this, was that we were in Sunday school, I must have been eight maybe, and the teacher was talking about Jonah and the whale. And so I listened intently. And then I went home and consulted the Google of its time, which was the World Book Encyclopedia. And we had the entire volume and set uh, at, at home and we referenced it often. Uh, actually, we read out of that together as a family in some evenings. And I looked up whales and I couldn't figure, I read the whole section on whales and I couldn't figure out how anybody could live inside a whale for that, for that many days. And so the next week, I took the World Book Encyclopedia to that class and I asked about this. And the teacher, uh, I, I said, I, I'm, I don't know, but I was told that I must have said something like, you know, I can't figure out where this guy lived in there. So can mm -hmm. you point it out? And uh, <laughs> they said to me that, well, it wasn't a whale, it was a fish. To which I replied, what fish? I'll look it up. You know, I, I'd like to find out what fish it was. So there is this kind of concrete way that my mind works. And that's been true from uh, the beginning. I really enjoyed being with my friends that were members of the church. I enjoyed the camaraderie. Scouting was a fabulous experience for me personally. We had a remarkable mm -hmm. scout leader. Doctrinally, I always had a 
um, a kind of um, questioning reaction uh, ab about things. And I went off to BYU when I was 18. I went one year. I My father was a corpsman in the military, so he never uh, uh, had gone on a mission. He was in World War II instead. My older brother, who was six years older than me, he was pre-1974, and so he didn't, he, he didn't go on a mission. Going to BYU, virtually uh, everyone was going on a mission. Anyone that you had a date with asked when you were going mm -hmm. uh, or whether you were returned, and I certainly didn't look like I was a return missionary at the time. I had a very young mm -hmm. face. So uh, I ended up uh, deciding I would go. And I, uh, I, I went to and was assigned to go to Sweden, which is interesting because it turned out that my, some of my family had come through or uh, uh, from Sweden. And that's really the first time that I thought seriously and in depth about what I was doing. And I, so it was more of a logical um, decision for you to go. This is, this is, you know, what is supposed to happen if I want to just kind of follow a course more than a spiritual experience that led you to go on a mission. It was more like, this is the logical next step for me to take. It, it wasn't a spiritual experience. And as a, as a kid, I, I had not had any spiritual experiences. I, I loved to go as a kid to fast and testimony meeting because it was, you never knew what was going to happen. And it was right. always better than the high councilman, you know, droning <laughs> right. on about, about something. Uh, you know, it was, it was uh, on the edge and people right. cried. And, right. and, and I never, novelty. It, yeah, it was, it, and I, I never understood that. Um, mm. And I don't remember ever my parents uh, standing up uh, and, okay. and doing that, that either. Um, so yeah, so it was I would more, say it, more of a show for you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a show a and it was interesting. Yeah, and and it was intriguing, you know, to mm -hmm. to watch the people get up. Uh, there were a couple of people. I'm sure this is true in most wards that did this every time they that right. fast and testimony meeting came. They were up there. They were yeah. in the line. Uh, <laughs> There's usually the usual. Yeah, and then the waterworks <laughs> would start, and you know, it was always an interesting experience. So yeah. it might have been. If we can say it's general. <laughs> I guess you could characterize it as logical. I don't certainly don't think it was a well thought out decision. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was more like everybody was going, and. I, you know, I'd been raised in the church and I didn't have any super negative experiences growing mm -hmm. up in, in the Mormon church. Uh, so I thought, okay, you know, why not? Why not? Right. Yeah. And then if I remember, and now I'm pulling here from the book, but yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, this is where your investigation really starts and you're really trying to understand, okay, what is it I'm in? What is this all about? Yeah. And, and the studying and, and, you know, the cognitive dissonance, you know, starting to, to get louder and louder. So yeah. do you want to go there first? Do you want to go to the let's just let's just maybe skip the mission part for now. And okay. then um, so you come back home. Tell us what happened when you come back home and then we'll come back because I, I do want to talk a bit more in depth uh, about when I return from Sweden. Mm -hmm. So where you at spiritually and, then uh, you know, six go, months, six months into my mission in Sweden, I had decided that nothing that we were doing was um, was anything I wanted to be involved with. 
any longer. I didn't believe any of the fundamental tenets uh, of the religion any longer. And I think it was at six months that I stopped praying. Mm -hmm. And I had, uh, we, we were a family that prayed at uh, dinner time. Uh, right. I did blessings on the food. And on special occasions, we weren't a family that uh, prayed every every single day together as a, as a family. We, we, we didn't do that. But once I was uh, on a mission, I prayed in earnest mm -hmm. uh, for some kind of confirmation that I was on the right track, uh, that the material that I was encountering was um, wrong, Right. Uh, that I was thinking wrongly about it. Um, and I felt nothing. Uh, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. felt absolutely nothing. The other piece for me that I think was really pushed me was I was a Southern California born and raised surfer guy. California, rightly so, has this reputation of people being friendly and, and mm -hmm. kind of outgoing and, uh, Swedes are more conservative in terms mm -hmm. of their social interactions. They're more reserved. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Once you have a Swede for a friend, you have a friend for life. I can tell you that because I have friends in Sweden to this day, and my mission was over 40 years ago. No, I believe so, you because Belgians it, are similar, maybe not as reserved but pretty reserved yeah. so I, I'm, I'm i know exactly what you're talking about i'm used and, to europeans of all and, kinds you know when i was a kid it wasn't terribly unusual for somebody to knock on the door and try to sell you brushes mm -hmm. or makeup or a vacuum right. right and my parents were always and the jehovah witnesses knocked on our door quite right. a bit. and my my family was always friendly we never slammed doors or told them to get off our property i mean uh my mother would say you know right now i'm not interested and that would that would be the end of it and we were super aggressive as missionaries. Mm. We had mm. extremely high uh, uh, requirements in terms of the number of people we had to stop on the street and ask mm -hmm. if we could come to their house, knock on the door, try to get into the door. Yeah. It was a, it, we were very pushy and you could tell instantly that we stood outside, completely outside. In fact, we were violating cultural mm -hmm. norms there. Yes, that's horrible. That is and, just horrible. And it just, it, it, it wasn't that I was afraid to knock on people's doors. No. I thought it was wrong. Uh, right. You know, it would be equivalent to the United States of peeking in people's windows. Right, being pushy. And so, you felt off You felt off about it the, the whole time. And, and... Uh, from the moment I got there. And then we dressed mm -hmm. in a very odd way. In my particular mm -hmm. mission, we had to wear this, uh, what I started calling a Laurel and Hardy hat. Uh, we looked like <laughs> cheap gangsters in our uh, rayon oh, blue no. suits with these crazy black fedora hats on uh, oh, that we word. were that we were told we we had to wear. No one wore these kind of hats. They looked like okay. they were from the 1940s. What what uh, year are we talking about? Uh, Seventy seven to seventy nine. Uh, okay. that I was so, that I was in Sweden. Yeah, so it is it it is it is already kind of off to dress like that it was a, way off. regular we didn't look like anybody and you know the suit thing yeah. i understood i'd seen missionaries from the time i was was a kid so right. that that wasn't the issue the issue was mm -hmm. these strange hats and then our super aggressive style in a place oh, that word. uh it just didn't really fit so by it the time almost, i came hmm. oh sorry it almost sounds like a very uh, forceful way of of looking professional but i mean you put that on like 19 year old and people know you're not some kind of corporate important <laughs> so it's it's yeah it's really it's clownish i mean it's it's and 
anyways, I'm sorry you had to go through that. No, mm -hmm. thanks. And, and it's funny that you say that because that's the word I used multiple times in my journal uh, mm. because I kept copious uh, journal, uh, journals. I, I came home with five or six volumes of, mm -hmm. of things that I'd written while I was, uh, I was there and clownish came up multiple times. Mm. Um, you know, by the time I came home, uh, then I was, I was already done. Mm -hmm. And so my goal was to, uh, go back to school. Uh, I came from a family that was interested in academics and mm -hmm. learning as I said, my father was a school principal. And so I, I, I went back to school and I was not planning to participate whatsoever in Mormonism from that, from that point on. Mm -hmm. um, I did how go, did, hmm, excuse go ahead. Me, how, how did your parents take that? Like, were they, what was their reaction to you wanting to cut off? Um, my parents were very tolerant. Mm. Actually, I had written to them uh, because of an experience that I had uh, about three months in. I'd, I'd called home after a month to my, to my parents, and these were the days when, uh, this will show you how old, and you know, nowadays we can get on Zoom and we can talk all mm -hmm. over the world. There's no gap or delay. You used to have to call, and I th the, the cost of it was crazy. Mm. And you would speak, and if you spoke on top of one another, it broke up the speech. So you had to speak and then say, Wait. okay. And then the other person would speak and they'd say, okay. It went back and forth like this. Oh, goodness. And I, I called home and I said, you know, this is not for me. I don't mm. like it. And I, I think what we're doing is wrong. And my father was, at the time, was very understanding. He said, he said well, give it a month. And after mm -hmm. a month, I called back and I said, I, I you know, I, I don't want to do this. And he mm -hmm. said to me something that I'll never forget, I can almost hear his voice in, in my head. He said, he said, Scott, you cannot come home. Mm. Just think about it. You can't come home. And in those words, I instantly recognized what he was saying, which was, I would shame the family. Mm. Be and, ostracized. And, yeah. And I, I would also, and my family would be ostracized as well. Mm. That was what the comment meant. Mm. And I hung up the phone and uh, cried my eyes out for days. Uh, mm. And then I wrote them a letter. Mm. And I said, okay, you know, I'll stay. Mm. But when I come home, that's it. Mm. I'm done. You did, you, so basically at that point, it's a sacrifice that you make in order to protect your family. That's, that's what it sounds like. So that at yeah. least, you know, I'm going to suffer, but I'm not going to, let them suffer because of my decision and, yes. and took it upon yourself. That's, that's pretty brave. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and, and for a long time, you know, I, I beat myself up about this, you know, why didn't mm. I just stand up for myself? Why didn't I get on a mm. plane? I must've been afraid, too afraid to do that. Mm -hmm. But, but I think that the real reason was I, I knew what he was saying was right. I, mm. I knew that they would be mortified uh, mm -hmm, by mm -hmm. my coming home. Would they stand by me? Yes. Of course. Yes, but it would just be this big thing that yeah. you know that would and, drag on and and tarnish yeah. them. Are, are they still members? I mean, did they remain members? My 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 both of my parents have now 
have since died. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but they were members and they went to church uh, uh, after I, I came home and, until their deaths. So Okay, so they yeah. remained active members. And so so you you protected them, I guess, you know, by That's a by nice way to that. put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, yeah, I mean, if you tell me that, well, later on they left, you know, then, then maybe it would have been in vain. But because mm. to them it was something that they valued and, and held on to for, mm. until the end, you mm. protected them. And, and I think that's, that's very heroic, you know. You know, after my mother had, had died, she, she preceded my father. Um, my dad was out in Chicago, where I live and work now. And we were riding in a car. I can't remember where we were going, some kind of errand I had to do. And, and he then asked me uh, in the car. So he would have been maybe two or three years before he, he died. He said, you know, I, I, I've always wondered what it was. And we'd never really spoken about this, mm -hmm. what it was that made you not go back to church. Oh, so and they never, they never asked you. They, we never spoke about it. They, oh, wow. they knew that, they knew that I'd meant what I'd said. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I said to my dad in the car as we're driving, I, I actually, I pulled over and I looked at him. Um, he, was, he was a good guy. He was a very mm. decent human being. And I said, Dad, are you sure you want to go there and mm. talk about this? Mm. And he looked at me for a second, I think a bit shocked. And then he said, no, I don't. <laughs> he understood that. You know, and this, and, is, we, this could be and a, we drove off. <laughs> and no, and this, is, this could be a no way back, I think. And, and we, maybe we can talk about this. Um, but I think this is a common, as you probably know, or maybe not, because it seems like, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but when you cut off, you know, the cord with the church, you kind of went off your way and didn't look back as mm. many of us are like still trying to do who knows what. But, um, but people do, like you sense that fear of if I go there, and I remember feeling that way as a true believer, right? Because our situation is a bit different because I was a true believer. I mean, mm. I had all these spiritual experiences and this and that. I mean, mm. and I remember having deep down the feeling of, you know, with all these anti stuff out there, because my, my family in Belgium, most of them, actually all of them were not members except for my mother who had joined the church, my sister mm. and I. And they would sometimes come up and say, hey, have you heard about this or seen this? And there was this, this automatic no, and I don't want to. Like mm. fear of just rejecting and block anything mm. that would go against. Mm. Uh, and and that, is, that alone is very, very strange. That, <laughs> you know, especially if you claim that you, are, you have the whole truth and you know it's true without a shadow of a mm. doubt, but mm. yet you are unwilling to listen or hear or see anything that would under i mean you know shake your foundation just a little you know mm, anyways mm, mm. so back well to you. i think i think that <laughs> um i i was probably fortunate in that in that regard because i i was raised in the church but i hadn't had these I, i'm not even sure what a spiritual experience is to to, to mm. be honest um mm. uh a lot gets categorized as a spiritual experience uh, or a numinous experience. And I, I, I wonder uh, uh, what, what uh, that means, <laughs> what, what that actually means. But in, in one way, if, if your faith doesn't harm other people mm. and if it helps you be a good person. And what I mean by that is, is that 
you end up giving more to others than you take for yourself, that's what I mean by it, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you're compassionate, then it's probably not a good idea to read further about your faith. R right. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted, but uh, we can go, we can go back to that later. <laughs> you know, the, 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 it, but if in fact you feel like it doesn't suit you mm -hmm. and that your uh, that your faith doesn't inspire you to be a good person, that it inspires you to take from others or push others away, uh, then maybe reading some of that literature and discovering more about it is, 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 is a good way to start. But do you think anyone would ever think that of themselves within their faith, even if they were acting, you know, the wrong way? You are unable to see it if you're, you know, because you think you're in the right and doing the right thing. So you wouldn't be able to, I don't think when you believe something very strongly, and I, I, I say it even thinking of me as a true belief, believing person at the time, mm. there is no way I could have ever thought of maybe what I'm doing is not, you know, when you're like in it and you're like, okay, I'm following the prophet. I'm doing this, you know, everything mm. I'm doing is right. Mm. You're not you have, I mean, you have to have a trigger, right? In order to start mm -hmm. questioning. Like, mm -hmm. I, I doubt that people just all of a sudden start, you know, thinking about, okay, <laughs> if, if everything, I mean, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but if usually it, there is some kind of shock or, you know, some kind of triggering thing that will help you yeah. <laughs> come out of that. Yeah. And I'm just adding, and I'm just adding to those triggers a realization mm -hmm. that our behavior, your behavior, my behavior, has you treating others in a way that you would not want to be treated. Right. And looking at it like that, but even then, I mean, just like when you, you know, think back, I mean, you were different because you already knew it was wrong, but those missionaries really believe what they're doing is right. I mean, do you think they're like, I'm intruding because I'm like, I need to get you know, behind that door, I'm knocking on that door, no matter what, like to them, it's like, I'm out to save someone. It doesn't matter what they think. I'm out to save them. And they need to understand that I'm out to save them. Yeah. I think, <laughs> and I think that's that, that same kind of reaction. I think, I think that, that a, lot, have. a lot of this happens with the stories that we tell ourselves. So mm -hmm. I think there were a lot of missionaries when I was there who thought that what we were doing wasn't right. Mm. But then we told ourselves other stories. Right. Like, right, right, right. well, this is what we have to do because the prophet said, yes. or this is what we have to do because people need to have the choice uh, right. for eternal life. Right. Um, and, but if those stories weren't told or if an alternate mm. story was possible, uh, if just if somebody disagreed, mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. what the famous Solomon Ash studies show that if just one person expresses reservations, Mm -hmm. then, then the, others might start thinking yeah that's exactly I feel right. that way yes yeah. no absolutely yes no, so I, I think what's critical <laughs> is to have people say really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is is that is that is that good is that right now for me multiple times in in my mission you know and I don't think I was particularly brave more naive perhaps uh I I was asking that question really is is mm -hmm. is no one going to say anything about mm -hmm, this mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and when you don't 
have anybody support you in that when in, then when you in, feel like you're the oddball and yeah, you kinda, yeah yeah then it's it's very hard it's very mm -hmm. hard yeah no i i i still admired you know i've read the book and i'm mm -hmm. like there's no way on earth i mean with my type of personality that i would have i could have just sucked it in i mean it's too i i compare it a little bit to at the beginning stage of my face transition and going to church and feeling so uncomfortable. And, mm. you know, part of me is like, well, I want to keep the peace, which is interesting because my ex-husband at the time was already out of the church, but you know, you try, you push, but it would have been like me saying, okay, I'm going to do this for two years and be, you know, bear the, and uh, you know, the, the uncomfortable mm. situation and just take it, you know, mm. I, I I don't know I I just I don't I could not <laughs> so anyways um but yeah sorry I'm taking off on all sorts of tangent but um, no no I think it's I think it's all good I I do think that uh, that instead of insisting on compliance that a more mature faith actually encourages diversity of opinion yes and diversity yes. of experience I mean what unified the early saints was not the doctrine and the compliance, but rather these numinous experiences they all seem to share, seeing angels, you know, having mm -hmm. God the Father come and talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, these, these were the things that bound them together, almost an evangelical-like experience. Yeah, like we, when, when you all take mushrooms and you have this incredible... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of those no, early saints had that, yeah. Um, yeah, so, no, definitely. So... Yeah, I just have so many, so many questions because true. I mean, if if a faith makes you better, just like you know, I respect people and their beliefs, mm. and and um, I do agree that there is good and bad everywhere. Mm. Uh, you know, whether you take you know Muslim Jews or whatnot, there is also extremism everywhere. But yeah. I look at it more from a um, from from the instit institutions perspective, like it, because mm. if you take each individual, yes, you can interpret things however you want and whatnot. Mm. But who is who has the most power mm. and makes um, the most damages, in my opinion, is the institution as a whole and not the individual person. Mm. Um, but yeah, so but I'm I'm glad that you had you know parents that were accepting and open because tolerant. that's not that's, I'd say tolerant. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> of, of you, and, and I uh, and I'd disagree. also say that they were they were much more. Uh, they had a long view. They figured that mm -hmm. they didn't want to lose the war. They might lose mm -hmm. this battle, but they mm -hmm. had a long term vision. Right of eventually uh, you coming back if they maybe they that would. yeah mm -hmm. maybe that, mm -hmm. and in the meantime they wanted to maintain the interaction with me. So mm -hmm. again, it wasn't so much compliance mm -hmm. as it was love, and okay. this for me was one of again the critical variables we as a missionary we weren't loving the swedes in fact we mm. held them in contempt mm. these were a bunch of fornicators of people who mm. who who lived outside the bonds of marriage mm. you know our mission president went on and on and on about it how can you mm. love somebody you have contempt for contempt is what ends most intimate relationships yeah. yes yeah and so if i'm coming thinking i'm better than you yeah yeah no then I'm not really listening and trying to connect. Isn't that what yeah. the faith is about? Otherwise, I don't want to be in that heaven. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, if, if it's the same as earth, you know, leave me out. Mm -hmm. Where there's different levels and I'm better and you're not. It's like, ugh, you know, yeah, we have enough no, of that. 
Absolutely. It's, it's always conditional. And that is uh, whether it's friendship, the way you approach people, even as members. Uh, and, and, and not to say I still have lots of good friends, even my best friend in Belgium is still active member. Mm. And not everybody's that way. But as a whole, um, and, and what comes, you know, from the top down, there is always that, you know, if you see someone like your underlining mission is to bring them in, like you mm. can't just be you know, friends with someone or, I mean, there's always like, you have to go save them somehow, mm. you know, mm. and, and that is conditioned. And that also, like you said, means that you think you're better than, and you think that mm. your life is better than theirs. You, mm. you know, it, it makes all these assumptions from the get go. Mm. Uh, that is to me, not authentic, you know, relations with, with relationship with people, but okay. So and I would say, can I say one other thing about that? Oh, go, of it's, it's a very limited relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a Absolutely. very transactional utilitarian relation. It's not what the kind of relationship I want to have. I don't want right. my intimate partner, for example, in my life to agree with everyone, everything I say and mm-hmm, think I'm right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like it when she does, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's not the basis of our relationship that she's different from me is why I am right. so intrigued by her. Right. Right. And it, it keeps things interesting and you're not just, yeah. So, um, uh, okay, so in, in that same line, like when you left, how many people did you keep as friends that were, you know, maybe your friends in the church before you left? And I'm so, not saying maybe not today, but like after you decided to leave, were you were you able to keep maintain those some of those relationships that you had? Or So when I left to go on a mission, uh, I was in Southern California. I'd gone back. I'd been a year at BYU and I'd gone back. And then when I came home and it's something that I tell people who are, who are, if they're saying, you know, I need to get away from this. I, I say, you need to make f- friends that are not Mormons. Mm. And the, the main reason for doing that is that it is so normalizing mm. because if you're Mormon, that consumes your entire thought, all your thoughts all day long. Mm-hmm. Everything is viewed through that lens. Mm-hmm. And, what I discovered by having alternate friends was most of them don't know about the church and they don't care. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, not, mm-hmm. they don't dislike the Mormons. In fact, a lot of people have very fond and nice feelings towards the yes. Mormons. Uh, hey, it's that choir group, right? And those yeah. boys that go out and knock on doors. Yeah. yeah all very mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but having friends that were from other faiths and just other lives was mm-hmm. enriching in, in just mm-hmm. seeing the possibilities, the diversity of life. Right. Uh, and, uh, and just outside of this very narrow silo that I had, uh, that right. I had grown up in. So that said, you know, I had childhood friends. I went away to the, to the Y and when I came home and went on a mission, you know, the people that I had connected with on my mission, you know, they went in different ways. Mm-hmm. My childhood friends, some of them went to college, some of them didn't. I was on an academic track. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had my, my nose to the grindstone. So I wouldn't say I had a lot of really deep friends uh, mm-hmm. at, at that particular time. And so when, mm-hmm. I, and when I came back, I wasn't going to church right. uh, anymore. So I wasn't going to really connect with them. Right, right. right. Anyway, so it was but, kind of an, yes, organic. I would just say that I, I've had- Falling I've, apart. <laughs> right. And, but I, I have friends- uh, professors, for example, in school that I, that I have had now for, you know, 38, 39 years mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that I, mm-hmm. that I have contact with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, uh, the reason why I brought that up is because um, 
it's interesting to see, I mean, um, and, and you left also maybe earlier than, mm. you know, uh, that, than I did, like I was for the most part of my life. I mean, it's very recent that I left. So, but it was interesting to see who stayed and who, who, you know, well, we don't have anything in common anymore, which is mm. super sad when you've known people for like, mm. you know, year, many years, sometimes a decade or over. And mm. that was the one really connecting thing. But it's also good to see who are your true people, you know, mm. that are unconditional. And, mm. But it's, it's something that many struggle with leaving today mm. because, um, they, you know, it was their whole life and they realized yeah. that... Um, so anyways, we're not going to go in, into but this it, now. But it is, it is like moving to a different culture and country. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, if you're, if you're older, and well, I don't mean geriatric here, but well, if you're sometimes in your, they are. In, if you're <laughs> I mean, in your I mean, 30s even, yeah, <laughs> yes. it, then it's a, big it's a big challenge because you're learning a new language and you're mm -hmm. having to meet friends. And yeah, I, I can see that that is a, that For would be. For some, yeah. Hmm heavily in in you know i would say mormon land like you know the utah arizona idaho like for mm. me i mean I, I i was born and raised in europe i'm, I'm used to diversity like that's yeah. just part of my yeah. me and my yeah. culture and so it wasn't as hard but i see today in fact i i do a, a support group as well and i i try to help people kind of <laughs> falling into the world or whatever mm. because it's it's yeah like you say i mean it's like being in a, a foreign place and you're like mm. okay how do i do this how do i mm. navigate and it's you have that culture shock quote unquote i like mm. that uh analogy that you just made because i never <laughs> thought of it that way but it's it's true it's it's like <laughs> and, and i'm in I, a new I, place <laughs> permit me to say and i know this has happened in belgium and it also has happened in, in sweden where people have been dislocated from their original culture mm. and you sort of have two choices so if you're a dislocated mormon because I, I don't call myself an ex-Mormon. Mm -hmm. I, I, Mormonism was part of my life and my childhood. Am I, mm -hmm. am I somebody who's practicing it or think about it very much now? I, I, I don't. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not going to deny that part of me. Mm -hmm. it, it's fundamental. It, it, mm -hmm. it, and it's as much as being a California boy, you know, that, that's right. fundamental it's, it's to my early character. Childhood. It's it early is. Childhood. And, and it was good, you know, it puts a smile <laughs> yes. on my face thinking uh -huh. about it. <laughs> So you don't, I think the hard part in the beginning is, especially if you've come around to leaving the faith by some rational means, oh, you know, there are how many different versions of the first vision and then the first one, he doesn't even see mm -hmm. God, you know, I mean, it just goes mm -hmm. on and I know, hey, polygamy, you know how many wives he had and mm -hmm. he didn't tell him, mm -hmm. you know, there's all these things that can be rather shocking when, when, yeah. you, when you first hear them. And so you can, when you go to that new culture, you can do one of two things. You can coalesce around people who are similar, mm -hmm. speak the same language, hold the same views, and carve out a little ex-Mormon town mm -hmm, ar around mm -hmm, you. Mm -hmm. That's not the choice that I made. Yes, yes, yes. No, that can be dangerous. I mean, I wouldn't say dangerous, but to me, it's uh, it can actually can be dangerous because basically you hop from one uh, one cult to another, <laughs> the cult of the, yeah. the Mormon and the cult of the ex-Mormon. Yeah, and it's um, it's 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 not a negative. I, I don't mean to cast aspersions. It's just a choice that I made. I mm -hmm. I I came home and I gave a presentation at Sunstone, and mm -hmm. I and uh, called psycho or or what was it called? the Mormon missionary and thought transformation. It was about brainwashing as a mm -hmm. model for the, the the missionary training center. And mm -hmm. I have to tell you, the love there was amazing. You know, people came around, they were very supportive. 
And I thought, this is great. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the first time I'd experienced that while expressing reservations about the faith. I went back the next year and it was the same people talking about the same shit. Right, right, right. And no, I like, thought, I don't want any part of this. Yeah, yeah. no, I, and I, I don't I want to this on that because I've been once and that's it. And, and, you know, I met some really cool people. Yeah. And, but I don't, I also, I kind of became anti-walls if that, that like I, I'm very perfect, reluctant. Perfect to, analogy. I'm reluctant to any kind of, yeah. It, that said though, um, just, just again, a little segue here. So I was, of course, for me, it was completely different, right? I, it was my mm. whole life. It was like my, my, my world falling apart. I just started mm. screaming. That's how I, you know, I, I got um, connected with John. I actually gave him a call. I said, hey, John, I want to tell my story because I'm just yeah. super pissed. And I got in that, of course, that, you know, we, it's like the grieving and, you know, the whole process. And, um, and I got in that angry phase. I was there for a while and then yeah. I kind of left. And then we moved, you know, to, to Asia. We moved to Singapore, which was so refreshing yeah. because then you completely disconnected. And I was connect, connecting with just different culture and Amazing. my own spirituality. Yeah, yeah. And it was very refreshing. And coming back from that, I'm like, I'm not going to do anything anymore with it. You know, I just want to move away, never hear about it, never, mm. you know, all these groups and whatnot. And for some reason, and I don't know if, if it's because I am because of, you know, my kids and the family still connected to a lot of believing Mormons. So mm. it's always in the periphery. It's always. Mm. And, um, and I kept hearing also about people hurting so much, you know, mm. I mean, when, when the, the, uh, they, they came up with the, the policy, you know, not allowing the, the, the children with gay parents. I mean, we have, you know, a few gays in the family. In fact, in Utah, we had, you know, a, so there were situations that were just kept coming at me mm. and that would just trigger me where I'm like, I, I you know, and I want to help, you know? And so I, today, I, I, I think I found the right balance because I'm complete, I'm not talking about it all the time and every day, but I do want to be there for people when they fall because i mm. remember the hurt I yeah remember. do you felt that excruci ex excruciating <laughs> excruciating sorry it's the french popping in <laughs> 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 that excruciating pain on your mission you know when you realize yeah. you know i don't want to be here i don't want to be a part of that i mean it, it's yeah. painful i mean oh, i don't think your pain i don't think the pain you felt was less than someone who leaves you know mm. years later or whatnot it's it is painful to yeah. come to the research this is not where i want to be no but of course, you know, the older you get, the more you have in stake as well, right? You have mm. the kids and the family. Some mm. people are today mm. leaving the church as their kids are on a mission or, mm. you know, getting mm. married in the temple. Yeah. I mean, you know, those situations that are yes. very, very tricky. And for some reason, I felt like, you know what, we, we all have some kind of calling in life where to me, I think everyone at some point finds, you know, one or two or some of the callings where you understand something really well, you've gone through it, you walk, you know, and, and you know how, you know how to help better because mm. you've been there. Right. Mm. And so I, I just kept feeling pulled. And, and today, you know, I, I, I try to help, you know, where I, can. I, I, I do a support group once a month where people can come in and of course, again, yeah. not to say everyone has to do that, but, and, and a lot of people don't, but mm. I, I do, you know, it's just like if you're a veteran and you've gone through war, I mean, we can, I don't know if you've gone to the military or something, but I haven't, I haven't, but mm. we, we can feel, we can sympathize, mm. you know, we can feel bad, but we will never understand. 
mm. what it's like to be at war or to see people dying. Or, no. You know what I mean? No. Um, and so I feel like the best things we can do in life as humans, one of the best things we can do is to be there for, for people who have gone, who are going through things that we've been through and, and come, come above, you know, uh, in a successful way somewhat. You're doing, I think, and what John has done uh, nicely, and it's a very dangerous activity, is you've mm. provided a space where people can realize they're not crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. when you're the only person in the room, as I relate in the book, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. raises his hand and says, you want us to play tennis in our suits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and he, he and the mission president says, that's exactly right. And I said, wait a minute, no one is going to play tennis in their suit. That is crazy. Is, it, is this for real? Yeah. So oh my gosh. We we completely crazy. And was of course he like it, a, was he a little like off like your mission president? Because I mean this is I don't like know. Way. You know, I only I only had the the one the one president, but I think it's easy later to stand back and go, that sounds crazy. But I was in a room with 90 missionaries. Hmm. And I was the only one that said, No one's gonna do that. In in what he was doing actually was simply making sure we didn't play tennis. And if he would have said, I don't want you to play tennis, then it mm. wouldn't be messing right, with right. your mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, but, but, but that's not what he said. He said, you can play tennis. And this all, of course, was preceded by some long story about a missionary ending up in bed with somebody and then going home. Of course, uh, you know, of course, you know, uh, sex always happens after tennis. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so it, it, it sure, it made oh, me want to play tennis more, you know, I'd stand by the tennis court with my racket, you know, so it, it, it was just crazy, crazy. making, and, oh, and this gosh. happened over and over again, that kind of crazy making stuff, and you can find degrees of that, so you're providing a space, I think, where people can say, hey, I'm worried about this, mm -hmm. hey, I, mm -hmm. I doubt this, and they're not immediately shunned or shamed Mm -hmm. uh, or told to get back in com compliance mm -hmm. with things. And then you make a very important distinction as well. I left early, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. which is my advice if, if you want yeah, to get out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a chance. You were, in a way, lucky. lucky yeah. because, I mean, the, hard, yeah. the longer you wait, the harder it is. I mean, The more imagine, entangled you become. Imagine coming to a grip with, I've been wrong my whole life. Mm. You know, with on this part, not not everything's mm. wrong with me, mm. but this part of my life was wrong mm. because you know, as you know, we are so adamant about being right mm. and knowing things. I know mm. the book of Mormon is right. No, yeah. I, I yeah. mean we know nothing, but just using that language is so damaging. Yeah, uh, psychologically, it's yeah. damaging because yeah. then you realize you don't know shit. You know, yeah. Yeah. and you feel really crappy about that. Yeah, <laughs> so. I don't know if you've, if you've heard or read or seen uh, Catherine Schultz, you know, the book Being Wrong. Um, no. It's, that is fantastic for anyone who, like, comes out of, you know, whatever it is you come out of. Because Mormon is just one of many, many, as you know. Mm -hmm. But just coming to grip with, you know, it's okay to have been wrong because it's, it's a springboard for, you know, growing into something mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make you feel like completely... And like a complete idiot for not realizing sooner than, you know. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned this, Jordana, because all of my work as a psychologist right now 
is in an area called deliberate practice. Mm-hmm. That is about how people improve their performance in particular human endeavors, chess, Mm. mathematics, computer Mm. programming, my field, psychotherapy. Mm. And it's all contingent on being accepting of being wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing for humans, as you know. Yeah, it it (laughs) is. It is hard. (laughs) We we don't like it. Um, and, And yet, when I meet people who have a humility about them mm-hmm. and it's not like we don't have ideas and have good knowledge. It's, it's not, it's not about that, but it, but it's about having a respectful, respectful level of doubt about, mm-hmm. about what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, you know, when the mission president said you have to play tennis in your suits or we got a letter under the door. I can remember I was in a small town of um, Udavala. And a letter came under the door after I had met this priest who showed me a newspaper headline that suddenly people of African descent could be, uh, males could be ordained to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Did you know about that before? Or was that a, a, new th- a new concept? It was when I was at this man's house, his name was Stefan, we tell about, we, we tell about him in the book, because to me, he's the epitome of what my mission wasn't. Mm. He was a caring, compassionate uh, person who lived his faith by how he treated other people within and, and outside of his faith, including me. You was know, who, he a member? Or? Oh, no, no. He was a, he was a uh, priest in the Lutheran church. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I and, remember that story. I remember that story. Uh, we were at his home, and he said, "Oh, by the way, what do you think about what do you think about the big news from the Mormon Church?" And you know, I looked at my companion. We looked at each other. So, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And he says, "Oh, you know, now they've removed the ban on uh, people of African descent having the priesthood." And I was like stunned, but mostly I was embarrassed because you didn't know that was in place, or because. Um, like, we had never we had never been told oh and so then, you didn't know you didn't know blacks could not have the priesthood. oh no no in, i knew that okay okay but, i knew but that they didn't, but they but, didn't tell you in on the mission that this had happened they didn't tell us that this you know whatever it was that the ban was now removed whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, we didn't we got a letter shoved underneath our door at, i guess it was two maybe three weeks later okay okay so but that makes you wouldn't that make you wonder? My first response wasn't to feel happy, just so you know. It, it, yeah, it was like, this was shameful. <laughs> this was shameful. That's what it made like me the think. the last one in 78 to not yeah. be racist, overtly racist. <laughs> yes, and proud of it. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's what I felt. I felt mm. deep, deep shame about Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. no you're not the only one even yeah you're not the only one because um and that's yeah it's it's just that's a tough one you know um my mission president one of my mission presidents i had i had really good mission presidents Mm -hmm. they were really nice and i at some point you know i'm on temple square and and the the anti-people always come at temple square and give Mm -hmm. you all these literature and Mm -hmm. and i read some of it that's actually when i started reading anti- Mormon literature is on my mission Mm. (laughs) and I and I and and then with that because of course I knew you know uh, about you know I was born like two years before the ban was lifted right Mm. so I could have been in there 
but again, I was little, my mother joined and whatnot. But um, along with all that information, like the, the guy gave me a bunch of like super racist stuff that I had never read that, you know, Brigham Young and McConkey had r- written and about the Negroes and this and that. And I was yeah. like, what is yeah. this shit? <laughs> yeah. And I was appalled. And I went to my mission president and I'm like, what is this? And yeah. he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. He was just so ashamed. He was yeah. like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even know what to do. He was so ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> And not only that, but I wrote a letter to, at the time, I could, you know, you could still write to the first presidency. I wrote a letter directly to President Hinckley with, in photocopy, all these quotes and a letter saying, okay, what's this about? Yeah. And of course, I got, I got an answer. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and it was, it was a politically correct answer saying, well, this is not what we think today and you know yada 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 quote unquote we accept everyone you know very politically correct but yeah i'm like yeah it didn't make me leave the church interestingly enough i was i guess a believer enough that i was like okay fine you know i'll forgive that one but yeah but in hindsight i'm like there's just so many things yeah that are so wrong (laughs) and if we if we were intellectually curious if we were humble uh, and questioning about things to me that leads to a deeper mm-hmm. understanding and faith, it, not the opposite. Otherwise, you have people teetering constantly. You have to sh- keep them away from the from the in, from information. I and nowadays the real crisis is you can't keep people from anything. Exactly, and you know it's it, it keeps on bleeding. I mean, the church yeah. bleeds. It's bleeding and bleeding because you can't hide it in the you know in the vaults of salt lake you know Mm. whatever you didn't want to tell it's all Mm. out you know know, one thing that helped me with the with the issue about uh uh uh, the priesthood and uh, members of african descent was was uh reading the biography of david o mckay Mm. because in there they talk about these committee meetings between the 12 Mm -hmm. uh, where this was all debated Mm-hmm. And it provided a glimpse into their process. You could easily pick out the bigots, easily. Mm-hmm. Which, if we won't admit they're there, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. are we, really? Yeah. Yep. Right? What was interesting, <laughs> and and I wouldn't call it faith-promoting, because I'd, I'd been uh, gone for a long time when one of my brothers sent me this and said, you, you should read this. Um, it was... Uh, it was strangely soothing to see mm. that there were people who were saying this is wrong what we're doing oh yeah a lot of people and it's interesting the, the more people leave and you hear about you know why they left and how they felt I mean it's it's something I would say I don't know what the what the I, I, I would say it's probably 50 50 just like the U.S. right 50 percent mm. of people are somewhat racist and 50 mm. percent people are not I think it's the same in the church and the mm. ones who stay and are the 50% who aren't, Mm. it's just in their shelf. It's something, it's that cognitive dissonance, that icky thing that, you know, we'll find out after we die, the mysteries of God type of thing, but they're not okay with it. Same with polygamy. And, but when, Mm-hmm. And 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 treatment of 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 the gay population. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people I know, even among those remaining, a lot of people are leaving over those issues now because we have more information to dig into. It. They see that it's an ongoing thing. It's not yeah. like it's one event, you know, one lone event. No, it's an ongoing no. thing, yeah. which 
is going from worse to slightly better, but it's, mm. you know, cause it was awful to begin mm. with. And then, mm. but um, yeah, a lot of people are struggling and it's, it's, it's always, it's a matter of, you know, I would kind of, this, well, I, I don't want to, it's not a disagreement. It's maybe something different, but the people saying when you weigh, you know, what am I, what's my loss? Like, I feel like some people are saying because the loss is too big, not because it's making me a better person per se. Right, right. I think it's more, I have too much to lose my community, mm. maybe my spouse, maybe, you know, and so I'd rather not know. And, really and, now, and now we know how every mm. oppressed group in the United States feels every day, mm. whether it's blacks, gays, other people of color. This mm. is the bind they find themselves in every day. Do I give mm. it up? Do I mm. give it up to the dominant power? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or do I set out on my own? Because there's going to be a huge loss if you decide yep. I'm going out on my own. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, groups are doing that. Yeah, I mean, the voice are getting louder in the right direction. Mm. Uh, problems are seen. And, and, you know, and I think that's, that's the first step. That's mm. the, definitely the first step. I want to come back to you because we can, okay. <laughs> we can go really deep into just any of these things. But okay, so you come home, you go yeah. to college, you yeah. kind of leave the Mormon thing behind. Yeah. And then, um, okay, so. I leave the Mormon religion behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, my, mm-hmm. my Mormon roots, which I, I, I will again say, I think were, I, I came from, from a home with two very loving parents. I'm still very connected with my brothers. I had an extended family. My my grandparents were pioneers. One of mm-hmm. my uh, my great grandmother uh, uh, came from Iceland, met the missionaries, and came from Iceland. So, you know, those roots those roots go back a long time, and I feel that pioneering spirit. I feel the goodness, uh, the importance of family connections. Although my mm-hmm. definition of family is you know, really been bent in a much more broad and positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those things are my, my work ethic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of good things in Mormonism. So, right? I, I must so, say, I, I'm taking right. those things too. <laughs> you know, whether or not I think this, it, some guy buried a set of gold plates in, you know, in a, in a small mountain in, you know, no, you know, New York, I, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I, I don't think so. Mm. And I don't really think it's important. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't think it's important in the sense of um, for just for you, generally speaking, or for the people being inside, like in. in oh, the I church, think they've made it central and important. A, a fact that I that I think is a, a, a big mistake. Yeah, I mean, right? Couldn't they have gone without that? Yeah, <laughs> without all the the, the folks. And but and once you go there, you're in a you're in a you're in very slippery ground because you know. Again, I think. That's what they decided to build upon. That's and now right. it's all crumbling. It's like that's you should right. have chosen something else, just, you know, community or whatever. Like there were so many uh, yes, other things right. to choose from. And th- there's a lot of things that you can question just about Christianity and other religions mm-hmm. in general, the, the yes. literalness of it. You yes. know, do, do we have to go there? Do we have to mm-hmm. believe in the literal body yep. resurrection of, of Jesus yep. Christ? You know, as a kid and or more as an adult, I'd say I understand these things as uh, analogies and metaphors that should mm-hmm. lead to something in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, at the time I was doing my Mormon stories, that was my hope. I'm like, can we coexist without believing the same way? Yeah. Or, but, but clearly it's not possible. 
I mean, some people kind of do, but they're very quiet about it. But you can't openly do it. If you do it, just be quiet and say nothing, which yeah. to me, that's oppression. That's oppression of I, I've watched and... <laughs> people do it and, it, and it does seem rather soul-killing. Oh, my goodness. Because yeah. you don't get the respect the other direction. Right, right. And that's, I was, I guess, naively hopeful. Uh, clearly, you know, I mean, I, I don't care today and whatnot, but I hope for them that they get there maybe at some point because I don't mm. think it will fully disappear ever, but, or it's going to shrink into this very obscure, super rich, <laughs> tiny community. Mm. That only seems to confirm how right they are. Right, <laughs> because the money, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> the more money or you have. just that it's smaller and smaller, only a few people get to heaven, you know? They might get lower than 144,000. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then mm. it doesn't even match the Bible. <laughs> mm. Mm. Anyways, Lee, so what made you decide uh, on the field that you chose? Or did you have a few... Oh, that's um, for, for me, as a, it's also interestingly related to my mission experience. In, in, in the book, I, I, I tell the story of this one missionary that I was uh, the senior companion with. He was a guy who'd actually been out longer than me, and he really struggled with the language. And at that time, you had to memorize these eight discussions word for word. Mm -hmm, and you had mm -hmm. to deliver them word for Just word. Exactly. Yeah. Ex exactly. Guess, yeah. uh, and mm -hmm. then on your paperwork, you would write how many of the points in a discussion you'd managed to get to and deliver. Uh, um, it was uh, a science, right? It was, it was something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Uh, and um, so this, this, this guy, uh, the mission president, uh, told me that he had never passed the discussions. Mm -hmm. And in order to qualify for to be a senior companion, which was sort mm -hmm. of the first step in mm -hmm. moving up the ranks, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you had to pass the discussions. It was the first big uh, hurdle as a, mm -hmm. as a new missionary. Mm -hmm. And he'd never managed to do that. And his spoken language, his Swedish was awful. Mm. Uh, and he had, I, I, I'm forgetting now how much time, I'd, I'd been out maybe a year and mm. he'd been out 18 months. Oh wow! So, and so his, he 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 had a learning disability, maybe or something. Uh, I'm convinced of it. Oh, that's so hard. That's so hard to be judged on something you have no control on. I, I, you know, now looking back as a psychologist and uh, and thinking about this, I'm sure that's what he had. Uh, mm. I'm sure he had difficulties, and he really didn't belong in a in a foreign language mission, or he needed some extra mm. help to, mm -hmm. to to master mm -hmm. the language. So. Um, uh, anyway, this relationship, I, I, uh, we spent a lot of time working on his language ability and mm. getting him to pass the discussions, mm. a lot of coaching time. And at the end, when we split, when he was going in one direction and I was going in another, actually, he was going home. Mm. Uh, and uh, he gave me this present. And uh, it, when I opened it up, it was a book by a guy named Thomas Harris. Mm. A fabulous book written during the, the, the early 70s called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was a book about transactional analysis, which is a form of psychotherapy. It's mm -hmm. not big, as popular as it was at the time, but it was big at the time. And I read that book, and that was the first inkling of mm. me getting a sense that I knew what I wanted to do. I hadn't done anything that I had done with him on purpose 
uh, I wasn't even trying to help him in a psychological way. I just wanted him to pass the discussions. And, yeah. So, um, so it was a book about psychotherapy. Yeah. Or, that, cool. Very cool. It was a, it was a self-help book. Okay. okay. And its basic premise was you have to accept others as they are. Okay. Okay. Before you can get anywhere, if if you want to have mm -hmm. any connection, you have to understand the other person. You know, right? How how hard is that? But that was its basic premise, and we could certainly use it in today's culture. Um, so so I'm curious, how come he had it in on the mission? Like, wasn't it? That he was went not and part bought of the, it. Okay, because I'm like that wasn't part of the mission library. <laughs> no, he he went and bought it, and this was something that I did that again violated the rules, and it was because of a uh, when I was a junior companion, I had another companion, who one of the first things he did because this guy, he spoke, amazing Swedish, mm -hmm. and I as a speaker, I wanted to. I wanted not to people to know that mm -hmm, I was that from were, America. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. I, I, at least by my language. And you know, okay. as somebody yeah. who speaks multiple languages, uh -huh. accent and yeah. grammar are mm -hmm. dead giveaways. Mm -hmm, They're mm -hmm, dead mm -hmm. giveaways. It's it's very hard. I would I would think in in that short of time to really master any language. Oh, that's so interesting because this companion that I had when I was a junior company, he was my second companion, and that was his whole gig. So in violation of the mission rules, we went down to the local libraries, which mm -hmm. were very rich in Sweden. Mm -hmm. We checked out audio tapes, oh, of cool. language audio cool. tapes, and we yeah. read, he would have me read um, children's books. Yes, that is, yes. That's how I learned English, believe it or not. <laughs> See how well I, I speak? <laughs> he just came by this. Now, this guy ended uh -huh. up, he became an engineer, uh, very, very successful, and you know, you can see the smile on my face mm -hmm. uh, because as I think of him. Mm. Well, I was going to say that would be, I, I have to take back what I said. You can't learn, you know, master language. No, unless you immersed and that's basically all you do because that's, yeah. that's how I learned English. I mean, I did, I, I learned English. I was 17, 18 years old. I came on a, you know, au pair program mm. living with a family, no French speakers around me. Mm. I was watching a six-year-old and a baby. And basically the six-year-old taught me, which is perfect yeah. because you start with the basics, right? That's exactly right. And watching TV. And so it was full immersion. And in, yeah. after six months, yes, I was fluent. I mean, I had an accent, but I, I could, you know, I was fully operating yeah. in the language. Yeah. It was survival mode too. Because it's like, yeah. you don't talk, you don't get, you don't do anything. You don't That's right. you know, connect. So you just, but so you guys probably did you know some of that and that that's All great that. because then do you still do you still speak it today you awesome well i so, i don't speak mm. it but i can tell you have a good accent <laughs> I, I, that's what i wanted to that's what i wanted to do now you know it's been 42 years since i lived there full time but mm -hmm. another interesting aspect of my life is that i do a huge amount of work in scandinavia Oh, that's awesome. That's so really great. So Norway, Sweden, Denmark, these are places that I go six or awesome. seven times a year uh, on, on consulting and on business. But you made I, it that way. Yeah. Like you, you, yeah. You, and that's, that's awesome. That's and, really, really but great. To me, that, to me, I think I ended up changed more by Sweden than mm. I changed Swedes. Mm. Uh, uh, I feel, first off, they gave me a connection to my family and my roots. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Secondly, mm -hmm. I found them much more accepting of me mm. than the fellow missionaries that I was there mm. with. 
Oh, wow. And, and so I, I feel a deep connection uh, with the people. But with regard to my one companion, I didn't do anything that I hadn't learned from my first senior, my second uh, senior companion mm -hmm. uh, about learning the language. And I think somehow this meant something to him. Mm. And so even though we weren't supposed to go to bookstores, he had, he had, in, we, we had been in a bookstore, he found this book and he, he, he'd given it to me. That's really sweet. I, mean, I think it's, it's telling because what that says to me, and I don't know who were, you know, but maybe they gave up on him, the others, you know, maybe they were like, ah, you know, he's just never going to get it and didn't put that much effort. I mean, clearly you, you've made a difference in his life by, uh, you know. But, you know, at that particular time, we were under, as I said, tremendous pressure. So in a culture that doesn't open its doors to strangers, mm. we were supposed to teach 40 discussions, full discussions mm. a week, and stop when they called them Yilanda Kontakte, which is mm. golden context. Mm. So you were supposed to stop 100 people on the streets and ask them mm. if you could come to their house and teach them. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't even work in L.A. <laughs> And people are friendly. And people <laughs> are, you know, sort of more outgoing. It, yeah. You know, but in a culture well, is, where it's insane. It, I mean, was, was he insane. was he like some kind of business guy, like your mission president? Like, was he some kind of businessman or like? This was the era, you know, of uh, the real tightening of the correlation committee, and so oh. there were lots of rules and regulations about how the you know points and numbers we called it. Right. Well, because it's 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 marketing and it's business. You know, it's it's the 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 game of numbers. If you talk to at least a hundred, then you should have at least two or three that are, you know, gonna come out of that. But I mm. mean, you know, as you're talking about and I and I felt that, you know, in, in the book also, but the amount of trauma that is just transpiring from the whole thing, you first of all, I mean, because you talk in depth about that, even though if you, you don't um you by telling the stories, you show the trauma. That, mm. that transpires from that and then mm. even that that companion you were just talking about I mean imagine imagine which you can because you were there eight two years of constant you know I can't do this right. I'm nobody I'm yeah. not good enough I mean yeah. how damaging to the psychic is a situation yeah. like this and and that it's calculated and if someone is unable to to speak the language or to learn something or to make it sound like they and and I've, this is not the first time I hear because I in one of my other podcasts uh, the interviewee talks about that on the mission like they had these goals and numbers and 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 vision president even saying like you know what are you doing like you you just you're failing you know I mean mm. I mean how much control do you want people to have on other people and on their ability to learn. It is so much trauma-induced. I mean, and for me, you know, the the problem was that it 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 didn't comport with my experience as a child. Mm. Yeah. So I know people have had awful experiences in the bishop's office. I, I mm -hmm. know that. I've heard that. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. I didn't either. And in, in fact, my mission was wonderful. I mean, compared to yours, and even not mm. compared to yours, like mm. my my mission is nothing like that. But yeah. again. I know that within my mission, maybe some mm. may have yeah. had, you know. And, you know, when I, when I, of course, when I came home originally, I did a film uh, for a PBS documentary maker named Bobby Berleffi, and I did a couple of television interviewing show, uh, shows. And um, the usual reaction when I would tell stories was, you know, that didn't happen. 
you're mm. making that up. And it was, again, it was more of that crazy making mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. of, of, mm-hmm. of interaction. So uh, I, I, I think moving away was, uh, was the, the right, the the right, right thing. Choice. Yeah. Do, would you say that when people also, and I think that's maybe something that maybe, you know, people in, people out may experience is that if someone didn't have that same kind of experience, they can't, they have a really hard time validating that your experience was not as positive as theirs or, you know, yeah. and here to we the come point ba- of saying you crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here we come back to your main point. And I think the reason your support group is, is such a lovely uh, opportunity for people. I didn't need people to validate my story. Hmm. I knew it was true. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what I wanted was people to be curious mm. and caring. Really? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if, if somebody said to you, I've got cancer and I'm dying. And the response mm. is, you're not dying. Nobody dies. Mm, it, yeah. It's that sort of like, what, yes. what, you know, what are you talking about? I'm dying yes. right now. No, 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 you're not dying. Everybody goes to heaven. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. No. It's, so it's, it's invalidating that experience. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I didn't need somebody to say it was true, but be interested. Really? Right. But Very. see, that's a whole lot of, you know, self-confidence or I don't know how you call it, but lack of self-doubt because I self-doubted a, a mm. whole lot. Like the longer you're in, the longer you're, you know, brainwashed mm. pretty much. And so, yeah, you do. You question. I mean, the garments was like, oh, it was so hard to lose that. Like, I mean, even though I didn't believe anymore, I still had all that, mm. all the stuff that we were told around it. I mean, it becomes a part of you, whatever mm. you do and repeat and think, you know, for over and over and over and over, mm. it becomes a part of you. And no, a lot of people do question for a long time, mm. even it, it's like, it's not like a quick transition from, okay, true, not true. It's like, you still, no, no. you know, you move forward, but you go back and forth for a while. Mm. And so that book uh, that you received was the, the, the kind of the initiator for you to go into them. the, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I met okay. a professor. Um, his name is Hal Miller. And, uh, it changed my life because my first year, my first two years uh, at university, I was an accounting major, a declared okay. accounting major. Okay. And, uh, but I met this psychology professor at my very first year back and that changed, that solidified and mm-hmm. changed the entire direction of my life. And I wasn't, I don't know that I was interested in psychology as much as I was interested in being like him. Okay, so what is it that he did or, you know, how, how did he inspire you? He wasn't afraid to think about any subject, to talk mm. about any subject. Mm. And he was a, a thought-provoking, uh, uh, intellectual person. And you could raise any question, you could talk about anything, and he was willing to explore it. Mm. His class... He told us on the first day, this was a psych 111 class, the Mm -hmm. basic of the basic. Mm -hmm. He stood in the front of the room and he said, I don't care if you come back to class for the rest of the semester. If you want to earn an A, this is what you do. If you want to earn a B, a C, a D. And you got to choose different textbooks. It was was an amazing thing. Uh, But I didn't care. And his class was packed to overflowing out in the hallways at Mm. every single lecture. I think that was pretty telling. So he said, you don't have to come. I don't care. Celebrity. And he, he... it, he was never lecturing from the volume. 
you you had to learn on your own. He was going to follow a subject that he was really passionate and interested in within the field of psychology and talk about mm. it. And it was so very compelling. Mm. And that really changed the changed the arc. Okay, uh, so you went from accounting life. to major psychology. in psychology. Yeah, to which my mother said, "Oh my god." Right. No. <laughs> the social You'll never earn any no. money. <laughs> You're not a real doctor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, and, and that, that would be interesting. I don't know if we'll have time to talk about all this, but how it has evolved. Uh, I believe personally that anyone, everyone needs therapy. Like, I don't even care if you don't think you do. I think you do. <laughs> because I think we all have, I call them nuts, you know, inside that we are mm. unable to undo. We need an outside professional eye or to, to look at it because it's it's very difficult to go to do it yourself because you're in it and we have them buried and some some are of course more than others but mm. but i am a believer that everyone should in order to reach a higher level of wellness mental mm. wellness should get there mm. <laughs> so okay so then you go into psychology but then you must have you know picked within psychology some specific fields that you were more did, or did you just go general psychology? And then, uh, I mean, my, how did you, know, you go into where first you I, today? First, I was interested in what they call experimental psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, but this, this professor I met, uh, as I was getting ready to prepare applications for graduate school, because I, with a degree in psychology, you, you really have to do graduate work to, have, to mm -hmm. be employable. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, my plan was to go to an experimental psych school. This is basically somebody who's running a lab and doing mm -hmm. rat studies or mm -hmm. pigeon studies or something like that. And he said that he didn't think that was for me. Mm. Uh, he said that he thought I should go and speak to this colleague he had in another department because he, he believed that clinical psych was more along the lines of, of who I was. Mm. And so I, I followed his advice. I was very discouraged, but I, I followed his advice and, uh, and went and met another uh, professor uh, who, in clinical psych, and and my my other professor Hal had had, had been right. Mm. So being an understanding or trying to understand people, trying to help people, is mm -hmm. where I've spent the last uh, forty years, uh, well, thirty five years of my of my life postgraduate school. When you say that, um, trying to understand people, right? That's that's very very general. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. how how exactly do you do that? Like what what ways have you? I mean, I know it's it's very. I know there's a lot. I mean, you know, as I was going on your website, I'm like, okay, this is like like a mini like class of course. Like you could go on. Yeah, Dr. Scott Miller's website, and basically yeah. he might get a an associate degree after you read everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's just so much. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's I think lot. understanding <laughs> a bit of human psychology is is always good, uh, but but I also think that therapists have a skill in trying to understand you as a person, your identity, who you are, who you want to be, and uh, and then helping you move in that particular direction. And I think it's especially helpful if you're, if you're troubled. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe in psychotherapy as a way to just generally improve your life. I think you should go for a targeted uh, mm. reason. That's interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard that before. 
And, and usually, and I, usually it's more problem solving rather than, um, and, and you, you mentioned it at the beginning and I, I'd love to hear a bit more about what that's, you know, what, that, what it entails. But when I think of, you know, my therapist, the one I've seen that, you know, it's more like, okay, we need to try to solve these issues you have or these problems, but you see it more mm -hmm. as a, have a goal and, and I'll help you get there. So it's, it's a bit of kind of a coach as well, like a kind of a mixture of a coach and and yeah, and that's at least my view, and and it all starts on a on a foundation of me getting you, and understanding you. The last thing I want to do as a therapist is recreate the experience I had as as a, as a missionary. Mm. I, I don't have anything to sell you. Mm. I, I need to understand you, and then see if we can come up with something together that you value and that's going to mm. be sustained over time. And that doesn't mean that there aren't many people in the field who are interested in selling you something. This is the way to cure your problems. This is the way to figure mm -hmm. it all out. We all need to do follow these five steps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, uh, I, I, I don't buy it. I don't think the evidence is, is there for that. Mm -hmm. I also think there's something very unique about psychotherapy. It's largely a Western invention. It's not like mm -hmm. we've discovered the be all and end all of psychic healing. Uh, but it's an opportunity to take time away from all the pressures that you have and have someone who is dedicated to you mm. and what is of interest to you. If you don't get that feeling from your therapist, then time to get a new therapist. Mm. If you feel like they have an agenda and they're just working it out on you, well, you know, there are, there are psychonoxious practitioners. There are. So you can't forget your instrument that may be telling you that, you know, this, this, isn't, this isn't right for me. You have to pay attention to that. But most of the therapists I meet, it's why I've stayed in the field so long, are, um, are amazingly dedicated people that, mm -hmm. that are giving you that opportunity to really think about you. Hmm. And, and you have the tools and you've, you've done all these research and, and whatnot. So you, I'm sure you've come up with some what processes what do you would would you would call it or some some ways to help you achieve you know because you have to have tools right and methods mm. and so let me give you an example something that you've said in mm -hmm. the interview uh more than once is that you were in a way upset with yourself when mm -hmm. this mormon thing started to fall apart did i understand that right yeah i mean you know there was that feeling of why was I so blind or so right. dumb or so, you know, like, right. Right. <laughs> so gullible, or, you know, all these feelings of. Oh. So if you, if you think about that for just a second, because I think that's a big one. What is it that psychotherapists do? Psychotherapists, in a way, offer empathy, which is an attempt to see things from the other person's point of view. Mm -hmm. And we are often in trouble when we're alienated from those feelings. Who are we really? What did we really experience? And so I had very similar reactions to you. How could I, how could I have signed up for two years of this? What is mm -hmm. wrong with me? Mm -hmm. This is what I was thinking a month into it. How, how mm -hmm. could I have done this? Mm -hmm. That hostility towards myself can't be very good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a first step in that process of healing, something that a therapist can do, but you can also do some for yourself, is to is to try to experience empathy towards the person who you were at the time that these ideas all made sense. Right, right, right. And who I've, I've come person? to that, but yeah, it takes a, it takes a while. <laughs> it takes a while because there was a good person inside you. Trying to do the right thing. Trying yeah. to do the right thing mm -hmm. and trying to make sense of the world. 
and, and thinking that this was the right thing for you. Until you can love that person, then I think we remain in trouble. Right. The right. minute you can bridge that divide and go, oh, Julianne, as a, as a, as a teen um, or myself as a, as a 20-something-year-old, can understand why I, I wanted to go on a mission. That empathy, I think, is healing in and of itself. Right, right, right. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's, I think, definitely one of the things that most people struggle with is, is that self-love, you know, that, um, that, yeah, again, an unconditional self-love, right? We go in and out of that, I think, throughout life, mm. because we are going to make mistakes, and, and that's just part of life, but, like, learning to forgive and to yeah, to move forward. I, I don't think I struggle with that. Although, yeah, as we're speaking about it, I do have a, a physical reaction, which tells me I'm not done. <laughs> right? Because mm. I, I, I like to think that I'm like over and, you know, but clearly there's still some work to be done. <laughs> you're, you're, you are a long way from where you were. Mm-hmm. A, a where long I started. Way. Where, and where, where you started. And for mm. me, that journey, and for many people, uh, there's so much negative self-talk, so much negative feeling and lack of understanding for the person you were for whom this all made perfect sense and, and gave you the right choices. And if we're not in touch with that, it's, it's why I said earlier that when people say, well, are you an ex-Mormon? I go, nope. Mm-mm. I'm not going to be divided against myself. Right. You know, right, right, right. I, I can see this and I'm, and I'm actually happy about those experiences. Mm-hmm. Now it's mm-hmm. easy to say the words now, but you mm-hmm. know, personally, the work involved behind the scenes and pushing yourself and really right. displaying empathy when that young part of you says, why did you, why did you do this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why did you let me down? Why didn't you protect me? Why didn't you point out the truth to your adult self? Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 work. It's work. Um, and it, I like that you said, you know, I don't like to be called an ex because I have issues with that too because words matter. Like words yeah. matter and they carry meaning that we internalize. And even post, because I feel like, oh, post-Mormon is a bit softer, but it's still a label. Like it's yeah. all a label. And I, I, I am very much anti-label today. Like, even as far as my spirituality goes, like I don't want to call myself anything, but we have to use words. And that's the difficulty because I tried being an atheist and I don't feel like I fit in that Mm. (laughs) because Mm. so I call myself spiritual non-religious because, and not because I believe in a God that, you know, um, that can be defined, but it's like, we also have to communicate using words that, the, the person in front of us will understand and so you can you can't mm. just start making up a whole vocabulary because i i don't even like saying i believe in god although i believe in something that's mm. bigger than me it's not a person it's not a, a thing i don't know what it is i do but you know in- just just listening to you speak mm-hmm. i think that young person inside you that pushed you towards mormonism is still very much alive and and looking for a sense of Answers. meaning and purpose Answers, maybe and and a sense of connection with with the universe right and i say this because there are experiences still all the time in recent like some kind of connection that i don't want to call um 
um, chance, you know, I, I feel like, and now my favorite word today is actually connectivity or connection, like mm. what I would have called the spirit before. Mm. It's a universal thing when mm. people feel connected to people, nature, things. It's this connectivity that mm. you are in touch or out of touch with, mm. you know, and, and, and of course, you know, I feel like Mormons want to kind of hijack everything we own the spirit and the feeling of <laughs> you know it's you know what muslims mm. or whatever or atheists feel the same way when they are on top of the alps of mm. you know in in bali in the middle of you know a temple or we all have those feelings of mm. you know there is something a bit magical here there's something mm. a bit deeper stronger but so Beautiful. i you, we need to find words to describe things because mm. otherwise we can't communicate or we can't just be like, Oh, you know, it's something I just can't tell you. I don't mm. like, we need to, to make, I think we need to make that exercise of trying to define a bit things mm. because otherwise there would be no language, no communication mm. and no connection. Mm. So I think I've, I've definitely cut off, like I've tried to cut off all that Mormon jargon, but connecting and connection, whether it's with, family things nature like i say today you know my religion is love kindness nature you know mm. uh that's mm. that's those are the things that i am drawn to and wisdom mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. i i want to you know gravitate towards the things i mm. don't want walls any kind of walls whether in yeah. my head or or concrete walls I'll, I'll go in you know culturally look at things in church and whatnot because they have you know uh, architectural value or cultural or whatnot but not mm to be a part of something. And some people have that need, you know, to be a part of a community and yeah. this and that. And Finding uh, people who feel similarly may change your mind. Because okay. as I, far I, as community, as far as Yeah, community. I, I, I think mm. uh, you, that uh, there are, when I talk to people, I hear many people use similar language and struggle to find words for this ineffable, deeper connection that that they have in fact mm -hmm. in many ways i think there's no better time to be alive than now because there mm. seems to be an emergent consciousness and acceptance of that yes i, I did want to hear about what inspired you to write the book throughout my mission experience as i mentioned you know i kept a journal and i wrote in it every day mm. without exception from the beginning to the last day, even after my parents had flown to Sweden to pick me up and then tour uh, part of the country with me. And I also had sent home, shipped home, boxes of memorabilia. I'd kept books where I'd pasted in train tickets and postcards and napkins from people's homes where I'd written notes on them. I think it was one way for me of just coping with the sheer misery of uh, mm. being there uh, as a, and it was my witness to mm -hmm. what, what mm -hmm. had happened. Uh, a little side tale. Uh, my, I found out at one point that my mission companion had been reading my journal. I didn't, oh, I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. And that's because my mission president started asking me certain questions that you could only know if, if mm. they'd read my journal. And every week mm. we wrote letters to the mission president in part of which we had to describe our companion and what he was doing. And That's a violation. You know, it, it was Ugh. amazing. So uh, 
I had these journals and I had all these this memorabilia boxes of things that I'd sent home. And right when I got home, I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to write about this experience. But and I did do this presentation at the Sunstone that turned into an article that was printed in in Sunstone called Thought Reform and Totalism in the Mormon Missionary Training System or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wrote out an initial two chapters and I lost steam. Uh, it was uh, in the middle of graduate school, I was doing research in a dissertation and uh, I was married and then divorced and, mm-hmm. um, and it went on the back burner. Since that time, beginning in 1993, which is many years after I got home, I came home in 79, so you can do the math, and I have uh, a writing partner that I'd worked with for many years writing professional books and articles, mm-hmm. and we would often share stories every once in a while, back and forth. Uh, he'd been raised in uh, a Baptist and had some some similar kinds mm-hmm. of experiences, and mm-hmm. I would tell him stories about being being a Mormon missionary and we would laugh and and such and he would say on occasion you know you should write this up and I said well I wrote up two chapters mm-hmm. so I was between book projects in 2012 and 2014 and I said to Mark what do you think is this the time to write this book mm-hmm. and he said I'll do it with you mm-hmm. uh, and so we just started writing Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. By that time as well, 2012, both of my parents were dead. Mm. And I thought that even though, as you know, the book is not an angry screed, I've tried Mm-mm. very hard to stay in the mindset I was in at 19, which was oh, mostly what's happening to me. You know, that's what was It's really just as a, you know, for our listeners who haven't read the book and, you know, or have any interest in, in Mormonism should definitely pick it up because I think it was brilliant in the way of the gloom and doom and, and not in a boring way, but in like, there is this an ease and discomfort throughout the book that mm. you manage. And it's a, it's a page turner. It's a mm. page turner. I read it really fast. It was, it was really um, well written. It was really well written because it's one of those books where we are there with you. It's almost like it's damp and you can feel it. It's mm. gloomy and you can feel it. You're uncomfortable and we can feel it mm. when there is those moments of light, when you connect, you know, we rejoice with you and we're like oh, some respite, you know, every time yeah. you meet some of these wonderful people yeah. that you really truly connected with, you really manage to um, transmit that in the book, you know, mm. really it's very professional i think the way it's Thanks. written like i really think you you both because i know he helped you mm, uh did a, did a beautiful job because you know when you're happy we're happy when you sighed you sad when you hurt we mm. hurt yes mm. i i really like it a lot at the time you know there was no observing ego commenting on all of this it was just an experience and we've tried mm-hmm. to write it from that piece mm-hmm, not to mm-hmm. add feelings from the mm-hmm. present back into the mind of the 19 year old mm-hmm. that that was uh that started as a missionary and we wrote for about two years and mm. uh, the the rest is the rest is history mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. and uh it was um, amazing that uh i had met by accident john delin i didn't know him i was in uh at uh, U- the utah state university in logan giving a lecture mm-hmm. and he uh 
met me at a lunch and we talked and he told me a bit about what he was doing and I said I'll send the book and then yeah. uh, he did a, a broadcast about it and and it's it's I've been very surprised by the reaction. I, I hope part of it is the tone of the book, because as I say, again, it's not some anti-Mormon screed. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I didn't want to write a book like that. I don't mm -hmm. feel like that. Mm -hmm. you know? well, the, I, the title is telling, though. I mean, it's, yeah. it, the title is provoking. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, right? <laughs> yeah. So how did, how did it do overall? Because I don't know how that It's that done amazingly well, you know, and mm. it continues to sell uh, even mm. now, five years post uh, its, its publication wow. in, in July. So it, it, it's nice. done very well for a, for a very niche book. And the reviews, right. if you go on Amazon and you read the reviews, it, it's been quite rewarding. I expected more, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, okay. his you is an anti-Mormon guy. Okay, you expected negative. And, and I didn't get it. You know? no, it, I don't think so. I don't, I think it's very personal. It's your journey. I mean, it would be, I think it's, it would be wrong for people to even judge. Hmm. I mean, you, you can talk about, you know, the writing style. Maybe you can have an opinion on that. Hmm. Fine. But, but as far as the story goes, it's your journey. No, hmm. no, no one can say anything. It's your journey. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that in places it's raw. Yes, yes. You know, no, and uh, that's, that's very vulnerable. That's very vulnerable and remarkable that you went there. And, but it's good because people need to know. I mean, I talk about these things uh, on my other podcast, if you listen to any of them. But uh, I, I know for men in the church, I mean, it's a huge thing. Like every man that's willing to open up talks about all that guilt and that shame and with, with hmm. things that are completely normal and natural. That's another trauma that many have and carry. Yeah. And even, even as practicing members like they have so many issues and i talk mm. about that we talk about sexuality a lot mm. <laughs> because it's messed up and people need to know that there's nothing wrong with them just to end but if you could tell me i'm curious to know where you at uh spiritually spiritually non-spiritually what what's your foundation or ground you know as far as your values goes like how did you rebuild this if you could maybe summarize what matters most to you today you know how you know if you're a believer you know you believe in god you have a plan of salvation you're gonna, so what do you stand on today when it comes to you know you i know when when people ask about this uh i say especially if they say well do you believe in god i say and it's it's not a dodge it's not a question i think about mm. I, I instead focus on being a good father, a good partner. Uh, I, I have carried over much of what I think I had from my childhood, which is a strong worth, work ethic. I, I believe deeply in, in the golden rule. I try to be curious and intellectually humble in, mm. in, in, what, I, in what I do. Those are the values that guide me. I am a scientist by nature. And mm -hmm. I don't think science answers difficult questions. Uh, in fact, what I think it does is remove certainties and mm. shows us how much we don't know. So I see science as a way of, uh, of testing my beliefs and hopefully trying to develop new ways and new ideas. Um, so, so for example, I don't think science is responsible for why people who are gay are now allowed to marry. Mm. I think it's because we applied 
the golden rule more broadly. And we got to know a community that was standing up and being proud about who they were. And because of that, it demanded respect and attention and love. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not been an easy journey. I'm not claiming that at all. But if you think of the transformation, and there's still a long way to go, but if you think mm-hmm. of the transformation from my era, mm. it's staggering. And the same can be said about civil rights. And again, there's a long way to go. I'm not saying right, we're finished. Right. But those kinds of things have been mostly an enactment of, of, of the golden rule of mm. intellectual curiosity or of, of curiosity and intellectual humility. Mm. So. Those are the things that guide my efforts. If people ask, am I worried about being dead? No, I'm mm. not worried about being dead. I figure it will be a lot like before I was alive. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, can't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Do I want to be dead? No. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. And, then, and to quote Woody Allen, I don't want to be there when it happens. Mm. You know, I, I'm, uh, it's the pain and the suffering that, you know, right. is, is, is frightening and should, and should be frightening. Right. But, you know, those things don't motivate me. They don't animate mm-hmm. me. Um, mm. So. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. We will definitely have a sequel to this. <laughs> That's great. I look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Fist Transition Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To end, I wanted to read an excerpt from The Book of a Mormon, The Real Life and Strange Times of an LDS Missionary by Scott D. Miller and Mark A. Hubble. In short, no matter who we are and what we believe, each of us is capable of exhibiting the same love and hate, humility and pride, tolerance and prejudice, kindness and cruelty, truth and error as anyone else. When we forget how similar we are, come to see ourselves as somehow different, better, even unique, the stage is set for the mistreatment of others. From world wars to bullying in the schools, life is replete with examples of what happens when we set ourselves apart above others. Feel free to leave your comments and reviews on iTunes. Thank you again for listening to the Face Transition Podcast. This is Juliana, and I will see you next time.